we must pay attention to this gentleman here that comes from all the way from Hollywood, California, <laughs> you know, to give us this uh, very important class. Human beings were, were very much attached to what's called group think, all right? We call that group think. So social conditioning, um, it tells us a lot of different things, and a lot of it is very good, what social conditioning teaches us. It gives us community values. It gives us, uh, it gives us knowledge without having to experience everything firsthand. What would happen if we had to go and experience every single experience firsthand in life to, to have knowledge of the world? Die. <laughs> yeah, you would die, right? Not only would you die, not only would people go, can I jump off of this? And they would jump off and they would die. But also, it would just take too much time. So the way that human beings get knowledge really, really fast is that we have social conditioning. And our brains are actually doing something called socially pinging, okay? And so essentially, in any social interaction, here's an important principle, in any social interaction, there's one person who is reacting more to the other person than that person is reacting to them. So if I'm speaking with you, what's happening is our unconscious minds are looking to see who is more sure of themselves. And if I'm more sure of myself, then when I say a joke, for example, you might laugh at it even if it's a stupid joke. On the other hand, if you're more sure of yourself, uh, then I'll probably be reacting more to you. Um, it's similar, have you, has anyone here ever been at the gym? Have you ever been at the gym and you're, you're kind of tired and there's like the water fountain right there and you kind of just walk right at it and then, and then people just get out of your way? You ever had that? Anyone here, you go to the gym? No? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm from LA, so we all go to the gym over there. Uh, you know, or say, uh, okay, say that you're driving, right? We were driving here this morning and uh, you say, which direction do you want to go in? And then someone says, is that way, right? And then the person's completely sure of themselves, so you believe them but then it turns out they were wrong. Have you ever had that kind of experience? Okay, that's like another experience, right? Because the person more sure of themselves, people will listen to that person. So essentially, it's, uh, we call it socially pinging, okay? You guys have that in Cisco, like on a network, how the network pings itself? All right, well, think of it like socially pinging. And essentially what you're doing is you're looking at little subtle social cues going back and forth to see who is pinging off of who more, all right? Um, now, on a certain level, uh, basically, you want to be pinging less than the other person. But you don't want to not be pinging at all because someone who is not socially pinging at all is like a homeless person. You know what I'm saying? You guys ever, you ever see a homeless person coming like, Hello? How are you? Well, I'm going to get some change. Change? They're like spitting on you and stuff like that. Right? Well, they're not pinging off of you at all, right? They're stupid, you know? Or just really, I don't know what they are, okay? But, uh, you know, they're not pinging off you at all. So you don't want to be like some crazy person who, you know, who's like, who, who has no understanding of social cues. But at the same time, you want to be centered in your own reality. And then people look to you for authority. Um, so essentially, and, and you know, we'll talk about, you know, different techniques for that today. But the point is that there's a lot of different beliefs that are put into you through social conditioning, a lot. And these beliefs can even go back to how your personality was formed as a kid. And you think that your personality is your personality, like this is my personality. But a lot of it actually you were kind of boxed into as you grew up. So you can make your personality uh, you know, really in any different direction that you want. All right. But anyway, this is called social conditioning. So to be somebody who basically transcends social conditioning, who is not affected by social conditioning, essentially you have to start to look to yourself to make certain decisions. You have to basically... Uh, you know, in your, in your brain, you have almost like a decision-making muscle, all right? Making decisions is like a muscle. And you don't look to necessarily to other people to make decisions. You look to yourself to make decisions. Um, and this comes with time, right? This basically just, you know, it comes with time. Uh, but, but anyway, essentially what we're unplugging from here is something called groupthink, 
okay? Most people are so plugged into groupthink, it, it, it is crazy, right? And like I said, groupthink can be a good thing or a bad thing, but generally speaking, it's often a bad thing. In fact, um, if you look at the recent economic recession, why did that economic recession take place? Well, you had the banks, a, a lot of different banks up in New York, and uh, they thought, okay, let's go and trade um, these, uh, sub, let's go and do all these subprime prime mortgages. And then everyone else was like, yeah, we're making money, right? And there was people that knew not to do it. There was lots of people that knew that we were taking the country and the banking system in a bad direction. But because the group think is taking place, everyone just goes with the flow. They just go with the flow. They don't say anything, and then they allow that destruction to take place. Um, but also, a lot of like, the real genius that you have will also take place when you're not plugged into groupthink. Uh, in fact, even if you're not that intelligent, <laughs> okay, I don't consider myself to be highly intelligent, but anything intelligent that I ever did do probably was because I was not in groupthink. Okay? I was not letting the group tell me how to think. And when you stop looking to the group to tell you how to think, that's when you have a lot of original ideas and you can come up with original solutions. You have to learn to trust yourself. You have to learn to rely on yourself. Uh, in my company, we call this trusting in your faculties, having trust in yourself. And that doesn't come from being arrogant. That's not an arrogant mind state of like, you know, oh, I'm the best or I'm narcissistic or an egomaniac. Okay? Probably everyone in here is a little bit of an egomaniac, right? Because you have to trust yourself to some extent. But the point is, is that you know, it really, you can actually be humble, but still trust in yourself. Okay. So this is the main idea in terms of your confidence is unplugging from groupthink, and you'll see groupthink everywhere. You'll see it all around you. You'll see it in your meetings when you know that a, a bad decision is being made and you know that people are going along with different ideas. And if you want to be an innovator, you have to be able to challenge that. And not in a conflicting way, not in a way that offends people, but you have to very calmly and from a very centered place challenge those ideas to bring your leadership out. All right. So this is a, this is a first concept that we're throwing at you, which is social conditioning. I want you also, when you think about social conditioning, you can think about a lot of other things. For example, the music that is out there. Do you guys notice how a lot of music that's really popular is not that good? I don't know if you guys noticed that. You're like, I like that. I like Britney Spears. You know? Right? A lot of the music, a lot of the films that are out there are based on social conditioning. Bad, pol bad uh, political problems is based on social conditioning. It's based on groupthink. To be a leader, you have to be able to unplug from groupthink, okay? Now, I want you to think of, of uh, like, as if you have two different muscles, okay? You have two different muscles in your brain. Think of your brain like a muscle. One of the muscles is seeing the world through your own eyes, Okay, seeing the world through your first-hand experience, seeing the world through your assessment of a situation. And then the other muscle is looking to other people to tell you how to think and to tell you how to act. I want you to think of it like a plant, okay? So if any of you guys grow plants, you know, say that you have a wall, right? And then you grow the plant over the wall like this, you know? Say that you grow the plant like that. The plant can very easily grow tall by growing it over the wall. But what happens if you take that wall away from that plant? Anyone here grow plants? No one grows plants? Does anyone here speak English? <laughs> You're like, this senor is crazy, man. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if anyone here, okay, who here has a plant in their house? Any plant. Any, just please, God, just give me a plant. Just lie to me. Lie to me. You have a plant. Okay. Okay, I live in Los Angeles. I actually keep a lot of plants in my house because it clears the air of all the pollution in Los Angeles. I have kids, so I don't want them to like grow up like really stupid. But anyway, uh, okay, so if you take this wall, okay, say that you grow a plant over a wall, right? That wall is supporting the plant, and the plant will grow up over the wall, and it will, and it will create all of its strength, assuming that that wall is there. If you take the wall out, that plant is going to crumble. It's going to fall down. 
This is most people with groupthink. We're mentally lazy. Human beings, we want to save time and energy. We don't want to use more time and energy than we need to. All forms of life are like this. A general rule of life and biology is we are always trying to save time and energy. It's to the point, did you know that if you were to fly into space, anyone here been to space? No, me neither. Well, if you were to fly into space uh, and you were to stay up there for a few months, when you came down, do you know what would happen to your bones? Anyone ever heard this? Your bones are brittle. Your bones don't even stay strong. Because they go, oh, I can save time and energy. I don't need to be all strong. I can be weak. Have you ever noticed that kids, a lot of the time, who grow up rich, if they have rich parents, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, can be mentally weak? Have you ever met a kid who had great parents that gave him a lot of money growing up, and he's mentally weak? Why is that? Because his parents are like this wall here. He's, he hasn't had any experiences that give him any depth to his character. He hasn't had to deal with any adversity. He hasn't had to deal with any problems in his life. So when he gets a little problem, I'm like, Mom, I hate you, Mom. You ruined my life. <laughs> you know, because he's never had a problem before, so they're spoiled, right? Um, America's the worst for this, by the way. It's the worst. You know, I grew up, I'd see, like, little rich girls coming to school, and, like, their dad would give them a BMW for their 16th birthday, and they'd bring it to school with, like, a bow on it, and they'd be like, you embarrass me. You embarrass me, mom. Right? They'd be mad that they got a car for their 16th birthday because they have never had a problem before. Uh, well, anyway, <laughs> the point being is that when you unplug from groupthink, our minds like groupthink. Our minds don't, we don't want to have to think. What's the most popular uh, hobby outside of, you know, in the world? The most popular hobby? Watching television. We just sit there. Duh. Watching television. Get home from work. Duh. American, American Idol. Right, or whatever you guys, I don't know what you guys watch, okay? Some crap like that. You know, <laughs> you, know you just watch American Idol. And that's uh, because you, you don't need to think. People, generally speaking, don't like to think. Now, on the flip side, when you enjoy thinking, when you start to enjoy using your mind, it gets addictive. You like using your mind. You like to actually use your brain. It can be tough, though. I've got, you know, I'm a young parent, right? I have two kids now. And uh, it's, it's harder to use my brain, I've got to admit, because the kids are screaming all the time. Wah, wah, wah. Oh, you got to wake up in the middle of the night, feed my kids and stuff. You know, I'm tired, right? So we always, you know, it's like, it's hard to, to, to use your brain, okay? It is. But you have to learn how to use your brain. And uh, when you're unplugging from groupthink, you're learning to use your brain in a new way. And it can hurt because you're not necessarily confident of yourself. You're, you're not necessarily believing in what you have to say. But it is a skill. You must learn, if you want to be a leader, to stop pinging off of other people. Don't look to other people for what to do. But then on the flip side, don't be arrogant, you know? Look to, your, to other intelligent people who you trust and find out what's going on. But when you listen to them, listen to them based on the facts, not based on how sure of themselves they look necessarily. Because a lot of, a lot of the time in business, leadership, they get to that point not necessarily because of, because of hard skills and intelligence, but because they're just good at bullshitting. They're just like, yeah, da-da-da, right? They just walk, they have no filter. They just believe in whatever they say, and then people, people just go with it. You know what I'm saying? Like, let me, let, me give you, let, let me give you an example. Okay, I'll talk about something that I don't know anything about. Okay, I don't know that much about your guys' networks at Cisco. Give me, give me an example of something at Cisco I'd probably know nothing about. HLD. HLD. Okay, and what, what type of thing is that? Just to give a general direction. Just a general thing. And I'm going to tell you all about it. And I'm going to tell you guys what to do with it to get your, your stock price up. Okay? This is a document with the high-level design of a network. Okay, guys, look. We're here to talk about HLD today, okay? This is a document which is very, very important for this company to get the stock price up. If you guys don't get HLD working immediately, do you know what could happen? A lot of bad stuff, guys. 
All right, so what I want you to do is I want you to take the HLD, and I want you to go to the water fountain. I want you to cover it with water starting today, okay? Now, once it's covered with water, I want you to take this Coke can right here and pour it on it, and then take it and squeeze the water in the Coke back into the Coke can. All right? Then we're going to feed it to him. <laughs> this is, guys, this is going to get the stock price up. Does this make sense? No. This makes no freaking sense, right? Okay? This makes no sense at all. <laughs> but the point is, is that, is that if, if you're plugged into groupthink, you can hear all sorts of things that make no sense at all. Uh, because the person seems like they know what they're talking about. Well, if you're, if you're looking to them to, to know how to think, you're going to be going a lot of different bad directions. And what's fascinating about a company like Cisco, Cisco's a big company, right? How many, what do you guys do in revenue per year, just to get an idea? Does anyone here know? Is it like in the billions? That's a lot of cash, right? Yeah, I've never seen that much cash before. Uh, <laughs> probably never will. But uh, yeah, you guys are doing billions in revenues. And what's cool about that is that um, everything that human beings have ever accomplished, we've done it in teams. We've done it by working together. We've done it by working synergistically, interdependently. That's where the most amazing things are accomplished. But the downside of any powerful organization is that groupthink will eventually seep into it. And also, uh, you know, different structures within organizations can become too thick. They can become too slow to move. This is interesting. Like, take a company like mine. I'm a, I run a small business. And uh, we actually outcompete a lot of much, much bigger companies. Why? Because even though we only have about 50 people on our staff, we're fast. We make fast decisions. We give very blunt feedback to each other. If I'm screwing up, my staff tells me I'm screwing up. They say it in a polite way. They say it unemotionally, but they'll tell me straight up. There's a lot of good open communication. And then in clients that we work with, if I'm working with a client whose ideas are stupid, I'm going to tell them these ideas are not going to work. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say they're stupid, but I'll say this is not going to work, right? Do, do you guys here ever have problems where your clients are telling you to do things that are maybe not going to work? They want specific things, right? And so you, the skill comes down to not pinging off of them, but calmly and from a very centered place, explaining to them why it's not going to work. All right? Now, a skill that Stephen... Has anyone here ever read Stephen Covey before? Yeah. Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Well, I think this is an amazing book. Uh, you kind of have to be in a certain place in your life to read it. I remember I first read it when I was 22, and I thought it sucked. I didn't like it at all. But then I read it again when I was around 29, running, you know, running my small company, and it made a lot more sense to me. I view it like, like amazing. Uh, well, anyway, one of the most important skills that he talks about is he says, seek first to understand, then to be understood. So seek first to understand, then to be understood. And the reason why is because if somebody doesn't feel like you understand them, no matter what you say, they're not, you're not, they're not going to listen to it, right? That was why earlier, when I came in earlier this week and I tried to learn everything about your guys' job as project manager, which I probably still did a bad job of it, but I tried really hard. I did that because I know you're not going to want to hear what I have to say unless you feel like I understand what your job is. Um, and, and I would like to hear more about it today. Uh, but anyway, so the skill there is elicit from them what they want and then feed back to them what they said. So, so say that they say, uh, you know, I want A, B, C. You say to them, okay, so you would like A, B, and C because of this and this and this. You say it a little bit shorter than they said it, just so they know that you understand it. I'm like, I'm like is that correct? They're like, yeah, that's correct. You're like, cool. Well, in my experience, so you're not even conflicting with them or arguing with them, so the ego, the, the ego is taken out of it, especially because people in high-power positions that are paying a lot of money to Cisco, they probably... Maybe not probably, but in, in certain cases, they're going to have a big ego. <laughs> so you say, in my experience, we found this and this and this to work. How does that sound? Right? And you're not pinging off of them. Don't look to their reaction. Just be centered within yourself. And then from there, 
they can take it or leave it. And you say, all right, well, this is what I've advised you. You know, you can decide, right? Now, you know, I'd like to learn more about how you guys communicate. But this is, would be an example, again, of not thinking off of groupthink, not using groupthink. Uh, groupthink, like I said, to sort of conclude groupthink, one of the best things that human beings have, it allows us to learn so much, but at the same time is also one of our biggest weaknesses. Okay, thinking off of groupthink is what kills innovation. It kills uh, efficiency in business and things like that. It lets businesses go in all sorts of bad directions because the groupthink starts to just get going and we go with it. All right. Okay, now uh, we're going to go on to another principle here, which I really like. And that is the idea of cultivating something that I call core confidence. So I'm basically going to make a distinction here. Okay, we're going to a new area, which is the distinction between core confidence and situational confidence. So what are the differences there? All right. Well, I want you to think of a situation where you feel very, very confident. Okay. Um, let's say that you just got a brand new haircut, and you got some new shirt, and you're walking down the street, and you feel really, really good, and someone looks at you. You know, what do you think to yourself? You're probably like, damn, I look good. They think I'm hot. You know, right, or something like that, you know? <laughs> uh, you know, that would be an example where because the situation, because what, you're, because what you're wearing, for example, it gives you an extra little bit of confidence. Um, think of another example. Let's say that you're throwing a party, and it's your party, and you feel really, really good at your party, and everyone keeps coming up to you like, man, this party is awesome, dude. This party is amazing, right? You're like, wow, thanks, right? Let's say girls are coming up to you, right? This party's so good. Thank you so much. Right? See the look on his face? He already feels really good, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, and, then, and so everyone says, wow, you know, you're running this great party. Or let's say that you're doing something where you feel very good at what you do. You're just really, really good at it. Think of anything that you're really, really good at. And in that situation, uh, you know, you just feel awesome. Or think of when you have all your friends and family around you. You have a lot of loved ones around you. You feel really, really awesome. Now, now let's imagine, let's imagine this. Let's imagine that you're dressed amazing, you got a new haircut, you got all your friends and family around you, you're running a party, and you're doing something you're really good at. How good are you going to feel? Pretty awesome, right? So that's pretty cool. <laughs> but the question that I would ask you is why can you, if it's just an emotion, and emotions really are generated from within, why can we not feel that way most of the time? Well, it's because a lot of the times our confidence is based on the situation. It's not based on a core value within ourselves. Um, now, part of that is a good thing, right? I mean, it makes sense that you'd be more confident in certain situations than others. And there's reasons for that. But you generally, you generally want to shift that confidence to something I would call core value. It's basically a belief that you have value inherently. Just, you have value. You're a person of value. You're a man or woman of value. And that's it. I want you to think of it like you have kind of like a thermometer, okay, like this. And basically, you know, usually maybe you're somewhere around there, wherever you are, based in your own personal range. And that's whatever emotional state that you're in. And what your brain is going to do is it's going to ping off of the environment. It looks at the environment. And it looks at things like, how well do you fit in? Uh, how much authority do you have in the environment? How many alliances and different people who you know are in the environment? And then what it does is it gives you a certain amount of confidence, a certain amount of state. It's almost like a chemical that's in your brain and uh, it actually gives it to you. And the reason why it does this is very interesting, uh, but it actually goes back to like the caveman times. So if you want to actually understand your emotions and why you do what you do, a lot of the time you can look at evolutionary history. You can look at like how you were as a caveman. Uh, so when we look at this nice room here, we're sitting here in Cisco, we got you know, some fluorescent lights and uh, you know, a nice, nice table right here, Blackberry, you don't mind if I 
borrow this? Check my email? That'd be bad. Uh, you know, it's like we live in modern society, right? And we take this for granted. Uh, but how long have human beings really lived in modern society for? 100 years. Yeah, like 100 years, right? Even if you go back as far as 1,000 years ago, humanity was in a dark age. You know what the dark age is? We were, human beings in Europe were living in such poverty, basically just, it was, it was basically just like little farms of people, like just eating practically nothing. There was almost no, uh, there was almost no like uh, books or anything like that. In fact, one of the ways that the books were preserved from Rome was that the church did it. Actually, the church saved a lot of our literature and things like that. We were in a dark age. Um, before that, if you go back 10 or 20,000 years ago, we lived in tribes. Now, if you're in a tribe, let's say that you're, let's say that you're in, in your tribe, and then you see some other tribe where you don't know anybody. And you go in there, and you're like, hey, <laughs> what's up, man? How you doing? Like that, right? What's, gonna what's the other people in the tribe? There's no law. They're not gonna, what are they going to do? They're going to take a rock? Yeah, they're going to go, boom, and you're dead, okay? And they're not going to get in trouble. They're probably just going to eat you or something. <laughs> So, so we have this emotion to stop us from doing that. We have these emotions so that when we go into the other... Don't worry, I'm not going to... Okay, I'm, I'm good, I'm good, okay? <laughs> Sorry, man. Sorry, dude. All right. So, you know, when you go into... When you go into uh... <laughs> All right. So, okay. Uh... How's your social conditioning now? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay, so when you, okay, so you go into the other tribe... And, um, and, what, and what would happen is basically, if, if you're in a new environment, it would, it would make my brain say, don't do that, because he'll kill me. So it actually lowers my confidence. And what would happen is my voice would get more like, hey, what's up? Like, hey, how's it? Yeah, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like that, right? It makes you more shy. Uh, it does that to help you. That's to help you. It, it means that you won't go into like environments where you don't have authority and status and do something stupid. And human beings that did not have that power, they got killed. They didn't have babies. And because they didn't have babies, you didn't evolve that, that characteristic. The human beings that actually had a natural, healthy fear of foreign environments, they had more kids. They had us. And that's why our personalities have this, this device where if we feel very confident, we become open. Our voices open up. Our body language becomes loose. We just relax. We can joke around. We can be at ease. But when we're in an environment where we don't feel authority, we kind of shut down. We, we call it like, sti I call it stifled, okay? I call it stifling. So think of it like if you have a, uh, a cup. So maybe I could steal the outside cup of this. Uh, think of it like you have a cup. It's almost like this thing that kind of stifles you in. It holds you, it holds you from expressing yourself, right? You can't express yourself. Whereas when you're unstifled, you can be, you can be more expressive. Um, so here's what's interesting about that emotional device that we have in terms of our confidence. That emotional device is not that relevant anymore. It's sometimes important, but at the same time, if you, got, if you go into a... Uh, uh, someone, okay, you, you're, you go in, is it called a contractor? What is it that these people that hire you, what are they called? Customers. A customer. Okay, let's say that you go to a customer's place, right? And you want to help them as much as you can. You want to do a great job. And you want to communicate with confidence. Is that customer going to take a rock at your head? And I don't like your job! <sighs> like that. Is that likely to happen? Has that happened to anyone here? No? Okay. <laughs> Hasn't happened yet? Okay. <laughs> Maybe next week. Maybe, okay. Very close. Mm -hmm. 
Now, but what's interesting, what's ironic about confidence, here's, here's the irony about it, is that actually when you're less, see, what, what could happen is that they don't want to work with you anymore or they might not like the work that you do. That would probably be like a worst case scenario. Uh, but what's interesting about it is that by going in there with like a low confidence, that's actually not going to make them like your work more. You know, if you're like, hey, I did this for you. And that, that's not going to make them like it more. So ironically, that same thing that's meant to make you be more like, you know, polite and submissive, a lot of the time it actually takes away from the power of what it is that you're doing. So generally speaking, in terms of your state, you want to shift that sort of criteria, the criteria that you have in your mind that lets you go into that good, positive, like confident emotional state. You want to shift that internally so that it's a core confidence. The way that you want to think of it is like you have value purely because it comes from you. Okay? Just like I have value, right? And also you want to you want to believe that you have value because of your technical expertise. You know more. No. <laughs> well, maybe in that particular situation, but I see what you're saying. I think in general confidence, you want to have you want to believe that you have value because it comes from you. And in situations where you know the most and you're bringing the most to the table, it's like, look, I know the most here. I trust myself. It's a self-trust. Having self-trust that you don't need to be thinking all the time. You can just relax and become what's called centered in yourself. That's what they call centered. So for example, when a fighter goes into a fight or like a great basketball player or football player uh, goes and does what they do, uh, they become present to the moment. They stop thinking. They become present to what they're doing. Maybe when you go uh, you know, on a hike in the forest or something like that, it makes you present to the moment. Or when you spend time with your family and you're having fun, it makes you present to the moment. Well, presence is a very amazing thing because presence actually transmits on other people. When you're present to the moment, it actually helps other people to feel present to the moment and get out of their head and get out of all that frustration and, and fear. Do you ever work with people who, feel, who are in a state of fear or are stuck in their heads and thinking of everything that could go wrong and it's making them negative? Does that happen? Yeah? Okay. So when you can become present, you can actually help to draw them out of that emotional state. Think of it like the sun and there's like these clouds, right? And you want to help the clouds to part so that the sun can come through. You know, so if someone is giving, you, is giving you trouble and you stay present with them, you can help them to become present to the moment. You can help them to get into the moment. All right? And exercise for that if you want to do it, but I know most of you won't do it. <laughs> but for the one or two people here that do it, it could really change your life, is something called just sitting down and breathing for, say, 10 or 20 minutes a night, just sitting on a chair and quiet and just like, like that, and just clear your mind. And you'll become very, very present. And what you'll find is you'll start to feel really good. You'll feel really good. What's funny is you'll actually feel better just, just sitting there doing nothing for 20 minutes, just breathing and being present to the moment, just feeling the aliveness in your body. You'll feel better doing that a lot of the time than different stimulation that you're getting. That's, that's actually the principle of uh, meditation. That's right. But sometimes when I tell people to do meditation, what happens is it gets associated, because say that you're Christian, then you get associations, you're like, oh, is that from Eastern religion? Right? Am I going to try to reincarnate myself or something, something ridiculous? But you're right, that's exactly what it is. That's called meditation. But really what meditation is basically is just breathing, no matter what your background is, it's something that you can benefit from. And in fact, when you do meditation, when you do breathing every day, what happens is that when people yell at you, you don't really get affected by it. When people mess with your emotions, you don't really feel anything because you learn to stop drawing your emotional state off of other people and you draw your emotional state from within yourself. You feel at peace within yourself, okay? So that's the idea of basically being uh, centered to the moment. So essentially what we call this is drawing state from within yourself. Now why do we do this? Well, there's something that we call 
the law of state transference. <laughs> okay? Why don't you guys repeat that after me? Okay, it's called the law of state transference. Say it with me. The law of state transference. Okay, that was a really terrible. <laughs> Let's try that again. Okay? You guys got to say it with me. You got to remember this. Very important, okay? The law of state transference. All right. <laughs> I'm going to make you guys do some pretty crazy things later today. I'm going to get you guys a lot louder. Uh, the law of state transference. What does that mean? The law of state transference is the idea that whatever state that you feel, people are going to feel that off of you. They're going to feel that coming from you. So if you're in a state of like, you're not sure of yourself, people will probably feel that coming off of you. And then they're not going to feel sure of what's going on. On the other hand, if you feel, if you feel very happy, people will, uh, you know, people will feel very happy around you. If you are laughing... Other people will laugh around you. You know, it's like whatever state that you feel, they feel. There's a great book uh, by a guy named Daniel Goleman. It's called Emotional Intelligence yeah. and another one called Social Intelligence. And uh, so yeah, I see a couple of you guys are right. That's cool. And basically what he says is that human beings, we have something called mirror neurons. And mirror neurons is the idea that we can actually feel what other people are feeling. We can actually feel what's going on with other people intuitively. We can feel it immediately. Why do we have this? Well, say that you were in the jungle when you're a caveman and some lion comes up to eat your friend, and your friend is like, <gasps> like that, you would then immediately feel that fear off of him, and then it would make you run away, because if you're like, why is he afraid? What are you afraid of? What's going on? Blah, right? And you would just get, you would get eaten, come to the lunch of some lion. So, you know, people who basically don't want to become, don't, don't want to become lunch of somebody else, we have these things called mirror neurons. And they feel, that, they feel basically that emotional state off of you. So when, when, you, when you condition yourself to draw a state from within yourself, now you're not at the mercy of your environment anymore. A great way to train yourself is when you're in traffic. Anyone here from Sao Paulo? Yeah? You guys ever get stuck in traffic down there? Yeah? Okay. Mexico City? Mexico DF? Anyone Mexico DF? All right. You guys ever get stuck in traffic? Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, I'm from Los Angeles, so I get stuck in traffic too. A great way to condition yourself is when you're sitting there in this really horrible traffic, just make the decision to be in a really good mood. Sounds funny, right? Just make the decision to become present to the moment. Stop thinking. Just go into your body. Okay? I'm driving, right? Because it's a moment of your life. Right? It's like you only have so many moments of your life, right? You know, stuck in traffic kind of sucks. But it's, a mo it's still a moment of your life. You're not going to get it back. You can't get it back. So you might as well make the choice to be happy. All right? You might as well make the choice to be happy uh, because ultimately, you know, it's, it's your life, right? So essentially, you want to be conditioning yourself to draw a state from within yourself. This is what allows you to be one of those people who walks through the world with ease. Somebody who other people look to as an anchor for their emotions. Okay? If you actually look at chimpanzee tribes, in chimpanzee tribes, what they do, the different chimpanzees, is they actually look to the alpha male to continually see what emotional state the alpha male is in. They actually do, they, they've tested this. About every 30 seconds, the chimps have been uh, like this, and they're just like, uh, 30 seconds later, uh, 30 seconds later, like this. They keep doing it because they want to see the emotional tempo. So a leader is someone who has to anchor the group to a positive emotional state. You anchor the group to that you are grounded in your own energy. So where other people are going all crazy, ah, ah, I don't like this or I don't like that, right? You're just like, you're like, all right, how can we deal with that? What's the right step forward, right? You just say within yourself. 
All right, so that's basically the idea of drawing state from within yourself.